you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. We had it down like that. <laughs> we would go out and hit the town, stay out all night, Rob, and come really? back just in time to eat breakfast because you had to show up for breakfast to get you your name to. checked off. Yep. But then you're time to go get your ankles taped or whatever and hit the practice field for the morning practice. Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson, and as oh, well, not as always, usually I'm joined by Coach Brian Billick. He was not a part of the show today, but we're here to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. Today, we're talking to a legendary receiver, the, the, the original number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys, Hall, new Hall of Famer, Drew Pearson. Um, and we're going to talk all about his Hall of Fame career. And guys, you're going to have to listen to how he talks about partying in the 70s. You definitely don't want to miss it. Let's welcome in the original number 88 Hall of Famer, Dallas Cowboy wide receiver, Drew Pearson, big fella. Welcome to the Total Access Podcast. How you doing today, man? I'm doing good, brother. Thanks for having the original 88 on. There you show. go, the you know, original. You got Michael Irvin and all that, the other 88. You got the original number 88 now. We got the original one, man. We love it. We love it. So, look, we start every podcast with a locker room story. Now, Drew, we talked off camera. We don't want none of that stuff we put on TV, all right? We want the real stuff, right? The behind-the-scenes stuff uh, of what went on during your time in the National Football League. So, let's hear it. Let's hear one of your locker room stories. Well, you know, uh, I play with some lot of uh, great players, and a lot of these guys are characters as well. You know, we, we played hard. And we played hard, okay? <laughs> Both on and off the field. And so we had some good stories, and we had some character guys like Thomas Hollywood Henderson. You know, I could tell you stories all day about him and, and what he was trying to do. Like the time he got fired, you know, by the Dallas got- Cowboys. We're playing the Washington Redskins in RFK. Monday night football. No, no, excuse me. It was Sunday night, a late kickoff. So it's yeah. into the evening, uh, Rob. And so uh, we're getting beat. Hollywood Henderson was promoting this bandana towel, a, a towel bandana, and it had yeah. number one on it. Preston uh-huh. Pearson had started this thing. He had this little thing going, a little business going. So he yeah. got Hollywood, uh, gave Hollywood one of those, and Hollywood put it inside his pants, okay? Okay. Where the number one was showing where, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, right yeah, there, yeah. Okay? <laughs> so, you know, we're getting beat on it, and he's on the sideline, pointing to number one when the camera comes on to him, okay? What? What is he thinking? <laughs> and the m- number one's in his crotch, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Can I say crotch? Okay. Yeah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> and that's where he's pointing number one. Well, Coach Landry found out about this. On the plane ride home, he called Hollywood Henderson to the front of the plane no. and fired him right then and there. Man, you lying. Oh, right there on the plane? Right then and there. That's how he got released from the Dallas Cowboys. And oh. man, we were like, whoa. We, we that's, that plane, because we had lost, they, yeah. you couldn't hear anybody say nothing. The whole plane. <laughs> we, were oh so, we were so afraid of Coach Landry. And for him to cut somebody like that, 
so cold like that. That is cold. You know? No explanation. Just because he heard what had happened, he fired him right there on the spot. Oh, so anyway, that's the story about Hollywood Henderson. And I could tell you some more about him. <laughs> but let me go to his good buddy, Too Tall Jones. Okay, okay let me about Too Tall. You know, they, they lived together, you know, they, and uh -huh. we did a lot of crazy things together. We hung out and they, the problem is they were single and I was married. Okay. Oh, that's probably <laughs> the only thing you, right? that saved me was I was married. I had to go home sooner or later. <laughs> I had to go home. Geez, I couldn't stay yes, out all sir. night. But anyway, uh, we're in a dorm in training camp in Thousand Oaks, California. Okay. okay. And yeah. in the dorm, in this uh, dorm building, uh, our room, uh, we had the big room. So we had two guys on one side, Harvey Martin and myself. The mm -hmm. other side was Two Tall Jones and Billy Joe Dupree, a tight end. And then in the loft was Benny Barnes. Mm -hmm. And so we're in the room there, and it's getting close to curfew time. So if curfew time comes, we hear the coach, Al Levan, coming down the hallway. He's knocking on doors, in and out of the doors, yep. and he comes in our room, you know. He's, I mean, before he comes in our room, we said, uh-oh, Two Tall's not here yet. We better do something, you know? We got to help our yeah, brother gotta out. look out for him. Yeah, so we roughed up the bed a little bit, and then we went in the shower and turned the shower on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody, he's looking at Benny's here, Drew's here, Harvey's here, uh, Billy Joe, where's Ed? Oh, Ed's in the shower right there. He just got in. He's taking a shower over there. Yeah. So Alaban, the running back coach, he stayed there longer than he normally does. He's just talking and talking. In the meantime, the shower is just running, running, running. Trying that. to see if he walks out it there. It ain't changed. Ain't nobody moved. Ain't hearing no sound in there or nothing. Okay. <laughs> it's just running, running, running. So finally he says, man, looks like everybody's here uh, 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 and uh, except Ed. But I guess he's in the shower. He said, anyway, uh, before he left, he says, you might as well turn that shower off because you're just wasting water. Uh, he knew hair <laughs> wasn't As a matter of fact, when Ed comes in, when Ed comes in, tell him to come see me. And that was, <laughs> woo, that wasn't music to your ears. That no, meant you had to give up some money. You're getting fined. Absolutely. Okay? And you go Absolutely. see him, and then you got to go see Coach Landry after that. So that was the mm. last thing you wanted to do. But wow. Ed used to sneak out a lot. You know, we all did, okay? We called it, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob, we call it going over the wall. Okay? Going over, oh, that's we what y'all call it? over the wall, okay? <laughs> going, y'all get you know, out of there, campus, man. Our campus was kind of off the beat path, but, so we used to leave our rental cars out there on the curve, go over the wall, hop in those rental cars, and drive off the campus with the lights off. <laughs> so you had a whole system. Y'all knew exactly how to oh, do yeah. it. yeah, we had it down like that. <laughs> and we would go out and hit the town, tequila willies and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we'd go into Malibu and stay out all night, Rob, and come really? back just in time to eat breakfast because you had to show up for breakfast to get you your name to. checked off. Yep, yep. Just in time for breakfast. And then the time to go get your ankles tape or whatever and hit the practice field for the morning practice. Oh and my the thing goodness. about that, Rob, we partied like that. We did all those kind of things. You know, Hugh Hefner was a big Cowboys fan. Okay? I, I know. We yeah, went to, to his house. We went to the <laughs> Playboy Mansion quite a bit, okay? What? Wow. Yeah, we were like that, okay? Y'all living like rock stars, man. Yeah, we're living. You heard of Bill Withers? Yeah, I heard the name. I don't know him, but okay, I heard the he's name. Okay, he's a singer, you know, has, yep. uh, lean on me yeah. when you're not strong. I'll be your strength. Yep. Well, anyway, he's a star then, okay? Musical star. But his cousin, Butch Johnson, was on uh -huh. the team. 
Oh. So he got us hooked up. Y'all got access. Yeah. Like that. And the thing is, we would go out, Rob, mm-hmm. and party right after practice or even after the meeting, sometimes 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. What? And then come party all night and come back, okay? Uh-huh. One time we were coming back, coming through the Calabasas, the 405, yep. and I'm driving. I got uh, Billy Joe Dupree and uh, Ron Springs, God rest his soul, in the yep. car with me. We come through the mountains on the 405, Rob, and mm-hmm. you come, you know, you're coming downhill. You're picking up momentum. Yeah, so I was going a little faster than I thought. So next thing you know, the cop pulls us over. Uh-huh. Okay, and uh, he said, "You got, you know, get you for speed, na 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 na." And uh, who's in that car? I said, "Well, I'm Drew Pearson." He said, "What? What?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, that's Two Tar Jones in the back." <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, that's Ron Spring. Next thing you know, we signing autographs for the cop and everything. There it is. There it is. We had a couple of Dallas Cowboy t-shirts in the car that we used to get the girls when we used to hang out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we used to get them. So we autographed a few t-shirts and he let us go. And we got back to training camp in time. That uh, is awesome, uh, man. For that. But we used, we used to party like that all the time. But here's the deal, Rob. Once it uh-huh. came time to get back to work, you we work. got back to work. Okay? And, and that's None the of that messing part. around was going on. Everything was serious. You know, once we got between the lines and representing Dallas Cowboys uh, that way. Well, so Drew, that's the, that's the most important part, the man. That's the yeah. most important part. Now, I don't know if y'all could have got away with all that stuff, with all this social media and camera phones uh, no, and no. all of that stuff that's going on now. No. But let's take this turn. Let's turn this page to the football field, man. You waited over, and I thought I was misreading this. You waited over 30 years to get a knock on your door. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know what's going on with the Hall of Fame voters, but you finally got in. Tell yeah. us about tell us about how that day was. What was that day like? What was that experience like? Yeah, it was a a great experience because it turned out to be an unexpected experience. You know, when you get the word, okay. you know, sometimes you know you think, okay, well, I'm going to make this. I guess it's mostly a formality. But for me, over all these years, it never was a formality. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so I didn't think this would be a formality either. So mm-hmm. when I got the word uh, from Rich Dalrymple from the Cowboys to uh, ask, request the meeting for Roger Staubach and myself over at the Star with Jerry Jones. And Rich mm-hmm. said in the letter, he said, Drew, I think it has something to do with real estate. And now to me, that was logical because Roger and Jerry are involved in a lot of real okay. estate ventures right there at the Star. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe they want to include a brother up here. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I said, okay. Hey, maybe they want to get the brother something. Yeah, know? give me some of that money. And this was uh, this was just a few uh, uh, weeks after the 40th anniversary, the, excuse me, the 45th anniversary mm-hmm. of the Hail Mary catch. Okay. okay? Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. thought maybe it had to do something with that even. Mm-hmm. So we get over there, Roger and I pull into the parking lot at the same time. And I thought that was kind of coincidence, but that's how we connected, like back in the day. And mm-hmm. we were walking in, and I couldn't pick anything up from Roger. You know, back in the day, we had that telepathy where you yeah. looked at him, he looked at you, <laughs> and you could tell he wanted you to run that in route as yep. opposed to the out and vice versa and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't read anything on Roger going into this meeting. So Rich takes us into the meeting room, and Jerry Jones is there sitting behind this big table. Mm-hmm. And I start to go over and sit at this chair. He says, oh, no, no. Drew, you sit over here. You sit in this chair. And uh, as I realized later, that chair was right next to the door. Door. Okay? Yep. <laughs> they were setting me up a whole time. This was a whole, a whole setup. And they wow. had Jerry Jones, a Hall of Famer, involved in this. 
Roger Staubach, a Hall of Famer, involved in this setup. And yeah. of course, Mr. David Baker, who comes the in man. later, involved in this as well. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that knock on the door, Jerry says, uh, Drew, go answer the door. I answered the door and it was filled up with David Baker. And he comes in and says, Drew, I'd like to welcome the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the class of 2021. And then, you know, uh, Rob, I started grabbing that heart, doing that Fred yeah. Stanford, man. Yeah. You know, I'm coming to, come come to see, come you, see you, you, honey. You know, yeah. I'm coming. My time is coming, Liz. Yeah. And that was beaten like that. I swear, Rob, it was, man, it was like, I don't know. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's something just comes over you. And like you're saying, wow, those are the words you wanted to hear. And it had to, it was 38 years, actually, Rob, 38 wow. years waiting, you know, 33 years as a senior waiting, you know. Wow. Uh, and was the Hall of Fame always in. the goal? Was the Hall of Fame Pardon? always the goal for you? Actually, it never was a goal. I, I became interested in the possibility of being mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer uh, when I made all decade team of the 1970s. And then that started, maybe I'm good enough to be a Hall of Famer. But all I wanted to do, Rob, was to have my my performances every weekend for the Dallas Cowboys be good enough to one day be considered for the Dallas Cowboy Ring of Honor. That's oh, so I, that was that the was goal. My number one goal. Oh, yeah. okay. I said, I want to be up there with those guys. All, you know, <laughs> Starbuck and, you know, and all yeah. these other great Cowboys, Mel Renfro and people like that. And so that was pretty much, you know, my goal. But when you make all decade and you see everybody on the first team mm-hmm. all decade go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you're, you become the only one mm. not on, in from that first team all decade and you know the receivers and they're not – and don't get me t- to complain because I'm not complaining about these guys that got in before me because mm-hmm. they certainly are Hall of Famers. But you see them going in, and they played at the same time you did, yeah. and you were all decade, and they were. But they're they're going into the whole Pro Football Hall of Fame. So you 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 know you uh, at that point, you know you just like say if it happens, it happens. But let me tell you this, Rob: if it happens in your first in your in your fifth year of eligibility, your first ballot opportunity, yeah. or if it happens thirty eight years later. I can't imagine the feel, feeling being any different. <laughs> you know, really? I'm seven years old, home, and I still feel like a kid going into the man. Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's and awesome. it's cool because it happened at a good time in my life, man. You know, mm. maybe if it happened 30 years ago, it was, this would be no topic right now, okay? That's true. But it's a topic in my life, and it catapults Drew Pearson out there. You know, my, I came home from the uh, – when I did that draft day speech in Philadelphia, yes, remember yes. that in, 19, yeah. in 2017, and I people went crazy. And yeah, you was heckling things. all the fans and stuff, man. Right. You was heckling the them Eagles fans. Yeah. How about them Cowboys? I want to thank the Eagle fans for allowing me to have a career in the NFL. Thank you. I am honored as an undrafted free agent to be selected to make the Cowboys second round draft pick and on behalf of the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame owner Jerry Jones Team Jones and the Jones family coach Jason Garrett all the Cowboy players that played before me that played with me and played after me with the 60th pick in the second round the Dallas Cowboys select defensive back from Colorado 
I messed with the wrong guy, Rob. I the wrong guy. Hey, but when I got home, you know, every, every so, all of a sudden, Drew Pearson's everywhere, you know? Uh -huh. So I get home, I see my grandson, eight years old, at the first time, he comes up to me and says, Grandpa, I didn't know you were Drew Pearson. Huh? Hold <laughs> I on, hold you were just Grandpa. Your grandson said that to you after that? Yeah, he, because you just Grandpa to them. To him, you know? yeah. Wow. <laughs> so man. he's hearing all this Drew Pearson stuff, and he said, I didn't know you were Drew Pearson. That's pretty But anyway, cool, those kind of things catapult and get my name out there right now, Rob, which is a mm -hmm. good thing, because it's creating opportunities for me at this time in my life. And that's why when I didn't get that call back in uh, January, uh, uh, when they did the uh, Centennial class and he was crying, when I didn't get the call, here I am crying on national TV and all that, <laughs> you know, on social media yeah, and, yeah. and all that. And uh, hey, Rob, that was un unusual for me because I'm pretty private, you know? I yeah. go out and I'm socializing. I'm not introverted, but once I get home, I'm private. I want my yeah. personal life to be private and I try to keep it that way, but I, I thought that would be my opportunity to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame through that centennial class because yeah. it was created to try to make up for some of the mistakes that the voting committee had made and try to make up for that with a group, a big group of people and, and get them in at the same time. So I thought that would be my opportunity. So I had everybody here at my house and mm -hmm. all this. We drinking champagne, eight in the morning and stuff getting like ready. that. Yeah. We getting ready to celebrate. And so the word didn't come down. And there I am crying and disappointed. But you know what, Rob? I only had to wait eight, oh, excuse me, six months later to August mm. to get that call that now you're a senior, the only senior nominee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wow. So I'm thinking, man, God is really good. God didn't, he had a different plan for me. Okay, Jeremiah 29, uh, 11 to 13, check it out. I'm not uh -huh. a preacher or anything, but check no, that out. I know out, what you're okay? talking about. I got you. I got you. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm he, picking up. He knows he got a path for each of us. It's not a path for disaster. It's a mm -hmm. path for hope and, uh, and to flourish. So uh, that carried me through that period. And there is six months later, I get the call. And now, you know, what, another six months later, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I get yeah. the announcement and I'm into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So that's pretty but, much how it all went down. And that's why I feel about it. And. I'm just so excited, and I got the whole wardrobe, Rob. Look, I got uh -huh. this. Oh, you got the I whole got thing. This. Yeah. I got a hat. Look, I got yeah. a hat. Look at this. I got this. Oh, you got the fleece and everything. That's what I I'm got talking everything. about. Hey, man, everything. I, I go to the club like this now yeah. with the hat on. Rock your gear, Drew. Rock your gear. Now, now, when you look back at your career, is there a moment in your career, your illustrious career, your Hall of Fame career that stands out that may have been a, a moment in your life? Yeah, you know, that's a good question because a lot of people, when they ask me something like that, they always think it's the Hail Mary. Roger takes the snap, pumps it once. He's going long down the near sideline for Drew Pearson. Pearson makes the catch at the five, touchdown! Pearson goes in for the touchdown, and the Cowboys score, and Pearson throws the ball over the scoreboard. Would you believe it? I mean, this actually was a game-winning catch uh, that helped blow out the game in a playoff game, my first playoff game in Texas Stadium. Mm -hmm. And I had, we played in the Los Angeles Rams and I had scored a touchdown in the first quarter, a quick five yard out. And uh, we had the lead most of this game. But in the fourth quarter, we, uh, the Rams made a comeback and they had just scored a touchdown. And that point in the game, it made the score 17 16. We still 
got the lead, but they got the momentum. The all momentum. they want is the ball back and all that. We, we bogged down on offense. And uh, so they kicked the ball off, off to us. We fumble it around. Now we're on the, on the uh, uh, inside the 10-yard line. Wow. And we get Back down up. on to a fourth down. I'm excuse me, a third down. Mm-hmm. And we get in that huddle. And Roger says to Bob Hayes, you remember Bob Hayes? Come, yeah, come up, yeah. man. He was a yeah. bad man. Oh, okay? I know who you're talking about. <laughs> gold medal winner and all yeah, that. Yeah. 25 touchdowns in his first two years in the league. <laughs> I mean, just um, amazing. But anyway, he told Bob to line up on the right side of the field and run a post pattern down the right side of his field and, and clear out the defense, push it back. Mm-hmm. Then he turned to me, Rob, and said, Drew, I want you to run a post pattern down the left side of the field and the last thing Roger said when we broke the huddle, he says, Drew, I'm going to you all the way. All the now, way. Now, Rob, this is the, my first playoff game. I'm making 14-5, okay? Uh. <laughs> and I'm wondering, this man going to me all the way in this pressure <laughs> situation? So anyway, uh, I ran a post pattern down the middle of the field. I noticed I was double covered. Eddie McMillan on the outside, Steve Priest on the inside. Mm -hmm. And uh, they thought they could step in front of me to make the interception as Roger threw that ball to me. The ball zipped past them and hit me at the uh, the 50-yard line right between my numbers, the double eights. And I uh. caught it, and I said, man, anybody, Stevie Wonder could have caught this. <laughs> he grilled me right between the double eights. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I turned and ran into the end zone for an 83-yard touchdown. 83 yards? playoff game on national TV to help the Cowboys win this playoff game. And that's a tremendous thrill, Rob, because after I scored that touchdown, I'm standing in the back of that end zone, and here comes all these great Cowboys down there to mob me and congratulate me. Uh, Bob Hayes and Roger and Bob Lilly and all that. So anyway, on the way home, I told my late brother, Moose, you know, mm-hmm. I lost him in a car accident. But on that on that ride home, I said, Moose, I said, you know what? I think I could play in this NFL. If I can, mm. if I can stay healthy, I think I could have a career in the NFL. Those two catches and those playoff games gave me the confidence that, you know, mm-hmm. if I work hard, I can make this thing work for me. The reason I got that starting opportunity, Rob, the 10th game of my rookie year is because two guys ahead of me got hurt, got hurt. in consecutive weekends. And this was my opportunity. Coach Landry didn't say, Drew, are you ready? No, you on the roster, you know? Yeah, he expected yeah, yeah. you to be ready. And all wow. you wanted to do is prove to your teammates that you were ready and they could have mm-hmm. that confidence in you. So being able to make those plays in that situation stand out to me because if I don't make those plays, maybe there is no Hail Mary a couple of years later. That's you know, true. maybe there is no catch against the Redskins in the, in the final seconds with Clint Longley throwing you the ball. You know, maybe there mm-hmm. is no career. Maybe there is no all-decade. Maybe there is no Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame. So that gave me the confidence. And you know, Rob, mm-hmm. one thing you have to have as a pro football player is confidence. confidence. Okay, if you go out there half-stepping and that type of thing, you won't you know, be there long. You're going to have a rough time. Yeah, you're going to have you won't a rough be there time. Long. Well, look, I mean, you guys were, you talk about some of your teammates, you talk about having that relationship with Roger. Um, you guys were really the original triplets. You talk about Starback, Tony Dorsett, and yourself. Um, you also added Tony Hill a little bit later, right? You were the first yeah. NFL team to have two 1,000-yard receivers, 2,000-yard receivers and a 1,000-yard rusher. That's a lot of <laughs> yeah. offense, man. Yes. Was, there, was there any issues with sharing the football? Because, you know, I, I've been a part of teams where receivers looking at the running back like, man, I'm tired of blocking. 
you know, the running backs looking at the receivers like, you know, it's about time to hand the football off. How do you, how did you guys manage that back then? You know, because we never declared a, a go-to receiver. There was no go-to receiver, you know? So I was, was, I was all pro my second year in the league. I caught uh, 50, 58 passes, one over 1,000 yards in 1974, my second year in the league. And even at that point, I didn't feel like I was the go-to receiver, you know? When we called the play, you had the, the split end who was on the weak side. He was the 70 position, the Y. The tight end was the X, the, the 60 position. And the wing, the receiver on the strong side, was the 80. Now, if I'd come in motion across the backfield, I might become the 60 receiver, 60 receiver. you know? And now yeah. that the wide receiver becomes the eight, the 80 receiver. Because he's the same. You know, receiver. the wing. Yeah. So yeah. all that movement. So when we break the huddle, every play that was called, even though it was designed maybe initially, and the reason it was in our game plan was to go to you in that situation. But mm -hmm. at the snap of the ball, you know, the quarterback just reads the defense and goes where – the open opportunity is, Takes them. you know, yeah. and even if it's not the guy that's the number one receiver to two or three, just find somebody that's open. So yeah. we never had that issue. Now, Tony Hill and I and Butch Johnson, we yeah. were really competitive. Okay. Uh -huh. We wanted the football. Okay. <laughs> we talked a lot of noise out there. <laughs> I'm telling you, we were in Rod. It was like stereo in Rod really? Pierce. Okay. Getting at <laughs> we're him. coming at him left and right, you know, <laughs> and here comes Butch with his stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and poor Billy Joe, he couldn't get nothing in, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, but man. We wanted the football. We were really competitive. And you know, another thing we prided ourselves on is the fact that yards after the catch. We oh, yeah, wanted a job. high yards uh, 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 completion uh, percentage, yards per catch percentage. Tony Hill finished his career, 400 and almost 500 catches, 16.8 yards per catch for his career. Wow. I finished my career with 489, 16 yards per catch, mm. okay? That's what we prided ourselves on. That's what Tony Hill and Butch Johnson and I pushed ourselves on. Catch that little short five-yard route. We didn't want them down five yards like they get nowadays. Yeah, you know, Michael Thomas, God bless him, great receiver, <laughs> 144 catches. What, nine yards a catch? Eight oh. yards a catch? You know, come on, man. Get downfield. Talk to him, Drew. Talk to him, man. Receivers today, we all know. We talked about it a little bit earlier. They got a little bit easier than when you played. Just a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You know, they don't go across yes, the middle yes. as much. You know, the defenders get fined a lot more for some of the things that they do. Who today do you think would have had a lot of success back then? I know you mentioned Michael Thomas um, a little bit earlier, but is there a receiver in today's game that could play on your team with you back then? Yeah, with all due respect, Mike Thomas would have a little trouble getting off the line against Mel Blunt. No. Okay. No, Drew. All right. Come on, man. You're all talking right. about Mike Thomas, best receiver, one of the best receivers in the league. You're going to say he can't get off. Come on, big dog. Bring out the film. Bring uh -huh. out the film of Mel Blunt, okay? Uh, From the Pittsburgh okay. Steelers. Yeah, okay. In 1979, the NFL Rules Committee changed the rules where before 79, the defensive back can bump you, cut you, do anything with you as a wide receiver all the mm. way downfield as long as the ball wasn't in the air, okay? Mm. And you could not, and Mel Blunt on third down would cock to the inside in the dog position <laughs> and would not let you go inside. And he's 6'4", 205, yeah. and he ran a 4'5", himself. Okay? What? And then you had that steel curtain defense with Joe Green, L.C. Greenwood, Dwight White, uh, 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 Ernie Holmes and all these great guys and 
and uh, 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 Jack Ham and Andy Russell and oh my goodness, you know? Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't let you off the line of scrimmage and then he wouldn't let you inside. So all you could do is go upfield. But he was very physical. So in 1979, they changed the rule where it was one bump within mm -hmm. the five-yard area. And they called the rule the Mel Blunt rule. Okay. So how did, how did you disengage from him downfield? I mean, you had to run your route. Only time I ever caught a pass against Mel Blunt and the Pittsburgh Steelers was on first or second down. No. Hardly Drew. caught anything on third Drew. down because of the defense they played. They played what we call a 4146. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, you could play 4146 or the Tampa 2, they call it yes. nowadays, yep. where it's either zone or man. They would play with the, uh, with man. So Mel's beating you up on the line. And Ron Johnson on the other side, too. He was a bad man. <laughs> on side. Okay, he was no slouch. Tony Hill, yeah. I used to send Tony Hill over to Mel Blunt. <laughs> you go over there with Mel, Mel. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a third down, what we would try to do is just run them out so underneath yeah. can come and make passes. You know, in the Super Bowl, uh, in Super Bowl 13, where we almost beat them, we lost 31 to 34. Uh, 34 to 31, our success throwing the ball was underneath routes of third down. Preston mm. Pierce and Butch Johnson catching yeah. on them. And Tony Hill and I running it out, running it out, running out. Now, the only time I ever catch a pass against Mel Blunt and the Steelers was on, on uh, first or second down. Much wow. respect for him. But, you know, I looked at the list, you know, preparing for our interview today. Yeah. You know, the Hall of Fame defensive backs. This 36 mm -hmm. Hall of Fame defensive backs, okay? Okay. During my time in the NFL – I played against 11 of them, okay? No, excuse me. I played against 12 of those guys, 12 defensive backs that are in the Hall of Fame. Willie Brown, Len Barney, Daryl Green. Remember Daryl uh, Green? Yeah, I remember Daryl Green. Dead man. Mike yes, Haynes, he is. Yep. Jimmy Houston, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Paul Krause. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I played against all these guys. There's 36. I played against 12 of them, and two more are former Cowboys. Mel Renfro wow. and Cliff Harris, who I used to play against every day in practice. practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, you come through playing against these guys. It was a different game. It was a more physical game. The defensive backs were more physical back then. And now what I see uh, in, uh, with the defensive backs in the passing game is the freedom they get off the line of scrimmage and the lack of contact they get, the lack of physicalness of getting off the line of scrimmage. And then once you get off, you're in that secondary Boy, the talent level. Yeah. <laughs> is it, I mean, from what we played, and I'm just not saying this because of our era, because uh -huh. we developed players, you know? We had the same players on the team uh, sometimes throughout your whole career. Now you got a guy on the team two years, he's gone, you got to bring somebody in, got injuries, you know? The guy that's coming in to replace a starter is sometimes mm -hmm. only there because he fits the salary cap. You might not be yep. the best guy available. You know, so you see the lack of uh, uh, coverage in the NFL. Who's that guy in Green Bay? De Devontae Adams? Yes. Yeah. Wallace. You see him run his routes? Yeah. Getting off yeah. the line of scrimmage? You say, well, why don't they just jack him up or something? Well, they you know can't. They don't? They because can't. they can't. <laughs> you know? That's the rule. But if you took a DK Metcalf, mm -hmm. you know, the size of this guy, you know, he could have played back in the day. He could, he could be a physical receiver getting off that line of scrimmage. And with his size and his ability, he would have been intimidating the defensive backs. Defensive backs, yeah. <laughs> like
like he back does then. now. And I'm sure he's intimidating him now. With, with Drew, I can't thank you enough for coming by the podcast, brother. We got to do this again. That was some great perspective. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access to Locker Room. For more insight with the Locker Room point of view, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.